0: This episode of the MedTalk Podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical device supply chain intelligence. Plan your Expo experience on the 8th and 9th of June at www.medtechexpo.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the MedTalk podcast, discussing the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, acting group editor of Life Sciences at Rapid News. And on this episode, I speak to Jonathan O'Halloran, chief executive of Quantum DX. We discuss the difference between point of need and point of care testing following a report from the company, its latest QPOT technology and rapid PCR testing. In light of the COVID-19 pandemic and a public inquiry looming, we discuss the UK government's policy on diagnostics and where the industry stands in the UK today. First of all, uh, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us. Um, the The report that you recently release, released actually describes the difference between point of need and point of care testing. I mean, for those who have read the report, there, there's a pretty good definition in there, but can you just uh, give a good definition to our listeners?
1: Sure, you know I think it's important to have this defi- definition and uh, to distinguish between the two because we, I, I get frustrated a lot when I see other companies saying that they've got point of care devices and yet they're they're sat in in laboratories. So we, you know, we're looking at point of need as the the test is being done literally at the point of need in front of the patient whilst they're waiting, whereas a point of care is more wide ranging um description where it could be positioned in a laboratory still so you need to take the sample to the lab um, but it's just run pretty quickly and and, and easily um, so we we prefer to call ourselves point of need because you know QPOC is battery operated you can put it next to the patient and then have the patient run it if they really want or um but the important thing is it's run right then and there at the point of need um very quickly
0: Okay, it's a pretty succinct definition, and uh, I think um, we'll have heard point of care a lot. And I think yeah, you've highlighted your frustration with with that how that term is used. But point of care is literally a case of well, you're having the test; it doesn't say anything about the results.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's where it's run, and uh, and therefore how quickly you're getting the result back.
0: Okay, I mean everyone's become accustomed to. Uh, it's a PCR testing uh, throughout the past couple of years or so. Um, uh, can you give us a few examples of what it can be used for aside from the obvious? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the obvious SARS, of course. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so literally anything with a DNA or an RNA genome, i.e. anything that's alive, um, can be detected using PCR testing. It's as simple as that. Uh, it is a great platform technology that allows us to detect very rare uh, molecules of DNA and RNA in samples by amplifying it. So just think of it like a molecular photocopier. I mean, you put you put your sample in and then you make tons and tons of copies, almost billions of them, um, so that you can detect them, and you can see them. Um, so, I mean, essentially, that's what PCR is. It is a molecular photocopier and can be used for detecting bugs in water, um, SARS in swab samples up your nose, um, genetic diseases or cancers, um, you know, the the whole range of different things.
0: Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned the whole range of different things. I think cancers is one that you picked up on there. Uh, what, what, are, what are the things that we'd probably come into contact more often with that, that you would expect them to pick up on?
1: things that we i mean anything i mean you name it thinking of cancer um we've heard from angelina jolly she had a mutation in a cancer gene uh, the braca gene uh, pcr is used in detecting those mutations for instance um when we're thinking about um using pcr infectious diseases i mean uh, if you've uh, if you've being unfortunate enough to pick up an STI, you'll want, P- you want PCR to be testing you because, test- because PCR is very, very sensitive and it's not going to miss anything. And that's the critical aspect and difference between what PCR does and what, what a lateral flow does. PCR has the ability to make lots of copies of the thing that you're interested in, whereas lateral flows, you're only detecting what is present in the sample. And so that's why there's a difference in sensitivity between the two technologies, why lateral flows are not sensitive at all. Whereas PCRs are, because you you have this ability to make copies.
0: Um, And just to confirm that 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 would also lead to, you know, for for the recent example with COVID and and Omicron versus Delta, for example, PCRs are are able to to pick up, you know, the different, the different strains, whereas lateral flow will just tell you that you've got one of them.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is, is a a key function of PCR is that it's it's using the genetic code. So if you think about a a long string and along that string, you've got ATGC, which are the four base pairs of DNA, and they're all different um, uh, configurations um, and in different order Uh, and the variants essentially will have part of that string is either changed in its order of the ATGs and Cs, or is removed altogether. Mm-hmm. And PCR allows us to then detect that by making copies of the differences. And so unlike what we see in lateral flows, where they are looking at the proteins, the 3D shape of the proteins, uh, PCR is really looking at the genetic code. And so therefore, if there
0: is a mutation, PCR will be able to pick it up. Okay, I just given that we've actually touched upon COVID and it was inevitable that we would. There was, there was just one thing that I would actually like to pick up on and uh, it, it, that was uh, in, in the report and it was it's a quote saying government and health authority guidance must adapt and be updated frequently. Um as someone that had the um, COVID around December time, I'm pretty sure that hasn't really been the case. Can you confirm <laughs> that from your point of
1: view? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um a, a I so face, I,
0: question by the way.
1: <laughs> I think I think that the government have faced a number of challenges with diagnostics that they didn't foresee. Mm-hmm. And didn't foresee until they were deep in it and it was too late. Um it's it is a tricky thing, diagnostics, um, and it should be left to the experts in my opinion Um, and that
0: has not necessarily happened Um, and I'll leave it at that. That's very diplomatically put I must say. (laughs) Um, Congratulations for such a diplomatic (laughs) answer. I'm not sure I can (laughs) fight my tongue like that. Uh, (laughs) There there will be an inquiry
1: which we hope to contribute to and and we can then talk about it after
0: that. I'll I'll have you back on the podcast just for that then. <laughs> Perfect.
1: I look forward to it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. But okay. I, I was I was actually going to discuss um, the cost associated with PCR testing. And if you got rapid PCR testing, I mean, I, I think the, the wider public would assume that, given the degree of um, sensitivity, PCR testing is inevitably going to be more expensive than lateral flow. So rapid PCR testing, therefore, you'd expect that to be more. Um more expensive than standard PCR testing. I'm right in making that assumption.
1: So let's yeah, let's take a step back. So let's compare lateral flow tests, which um the government are buying in for something like £1.50 per test, and lab-based PCR tests that are in high throughput lighthouse labs. Um and they they can be produced for less than a pound and and um and therefore were sold for uh, a few pounds. So the cost for for high throughput laboratory PCR testing and lateral flows is very, very similar. Okay. The difference is the the speed at which the results are given and the sensitivity. So you have a payoff. So the government looks at it and they say, okay, so lateral flows aren't sensitive, but PCRs um, take too long. So we'll go we'll go with lateral flows and then confirm with PCR tests. It was their decision, whatever. What we wanted to say is, well, um, is it not better to do PCR testing at the point of need, like you would a lateral flow? People will therefore benefit from a higher sensitivity of test. Therefore, you will be missing much, much less of the positivity rate. So the study on the Innova lateral flow test in Liverpool demonstrated you might as well flip a coin as to whether or not you're positive or not in an asymptomatic population, which means, because it had a 50% sensitivity or less. That means 50% of the people who are positive are being missed by Innova, which Mm -hmm. means, are you really stopping the chain of transmission? Probably not, because 50% of people probably will have symptoms anyway when they self-isolate. So the use of lateral flow tests in that situation is arguably pointless. Um, I'm sure the executives of Innova um, will have a different viewpoint of that if they can get out of their private jets long enough. Um, When you're then putting a a highly sensitive PCR test at the point of care, like ours, Mm -hmm. you're stopping 90%. And so there's a real cost associated with that. So the chain of transmission of 90% versus 50% you can associate a cost between stopping 40% extra. And so when you think about the health economics, you don't wanna be thinking like the government always does, thinking about comparing apples to oranges in terms of the cost of lateral flow and the cost of rapid PCR. What you should be thinking about is, what is the holistic cost to the healthcare service as a whole? Is it worth the extra 10 pounds to pay for rapid PCR tests at the point of care? To save all of that money and to save all of those lives of the forty percent of people that you are additionally stopping in terms of the chain of transmission, you can you can tell by the smug look on my face what I think the government should have done, uh, but that hasn't quite happened.
0: The, the, the I think you've actually identified that there's there's a lot more um, how can I put this nuance to the entire subject and than has probably been discussed more widely. I mean uh, there is it feels like there's probably been a bottom line that's been looked at without the wider the wider health economics but also e- economically just having these uh, having less strain on the NHS for example having if if people were told to isolate earlier then they stopped that chance stop the chain of transmission earlier so productivity in, in the economy is probably higher as well it feels like th- those factors probably necessarily have not been considered.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, and this is a function of people who don't understand diagnostics making decisions. A lack of transparency and a lack of peer review of these decisions. Um, You know, 2020 was a joke, quite frankly, in the way in which decisions were made. Uh, And uh, yeah, and you know, I guess we are all suffering from it. When I say we, I mean the British diagnostics industry are suffering from that.
0: Well, we mentioned the um, the industry itself, so let's let's come on to that because I I just want to know what um what your thoughts are on, on the outlook for the industry. I mean, let, let's just um have a look over the past couple of years. How do you think the industry has developed within the UK pre COVID, and then how has the last couple of years affected it? Yeah, so
1: pre COVID, um, there I mean, as we all know, there had been decades of um, lack of investment in the industry, um, a, a lack of understanding of the value of diagnostics within the UK, uh, and so what we what we saw was lots of companies setting up, you know, with the government's great early grants for seed, and then and, and then um, through to the Series A, but then there's, there was nothing really available for scale. And no route to get into the NHS, because the NHS procurement rules mean that they much prefer to go after big companies who can serve everything, rather than help innovation come into the NHS. It's almost anti-innovation. Then COVID hit, and then suddenly the government were right and checked, left, right and centre, which was the right thing once they realised that coronavirus was not flu, and they made a mistake in their strategy for herd immunity, they started... Getting on a war footing and trying trying to stimulate the um, British in- diagnostic industry to 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 then provide the diagnostic test um, throughout the UK. Uh, and for about three months there, it was looking it was looking good. It was looking that it was the right support, etc. But then, I mean, there was you know a number of issues, technologies that were lauded to work that didn't. Um funding decisions that were picked up by the press in the ch- chumocracy debate, uh, uh, which clearly spooked um, the government uh, and then led to um some very strange decisions after that and 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 also they stopped being transparent and 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 um yeah, it, it just didn't it just didn't work. The British diagnostic industry, unfortunately, has been decimated because of the decisions to, towards the mid to end of 2020, uh, and continue to be um, decimated by the decisions that have been made.
0: It's uh, that um, the, the quote that's come to mind here, and I, and I can imagine that what your reaction might be, was when Matt Hancock stood uh, on a podium in Downing Street and said that they've. Built up a diagnostics industry almost from scratch. Um, they and, didn't. Yes, yeah. that, that was a lie. Well, uh, you, you don't really need to need to tell me that your are the converted on that on that one. I was just, I was just wondering what your reaction. How? So, how can I put this properly? Um, how his words exactly tally with what you just said? Well, they don't really, do they?
1: <laughs> so, in early twenty twenty. They once they realized that coronavirus was different to flu, they reached out to the British diagnostic industry and requested that we help. Asked mm-hmm. us to drop down the battle lines of competition between companies and work together, which we did. The number of consortiums were put together where we helped out the government, we helped the government better understand diagnostics, built up capacity within certain com- companies such as Amiga Diagnostics, Havingdon Health. Uh, et cetera, et etc, source samples uh and then almost overnight that was cut uh, and uh, yeah, and there was no advancement on that the The decision was clearly then to uh to not pursue building the British diagnostic industry and instead facilitate foreign companies in Providing tests for uh, the public and the NHS.
0: This leads me on to another question because you, you you've mentioned that British Diagnostics has now been decimated by this. there's the and I'm I'm not entirely sure how much of an effect that the the recent uh, strategy of quote unquote living with COVID will will go, will go down now because. As far as far as I can see, that there is on the public health side of it, there is there is the need. There is still this need for for testing, just for the sake of or actually living with it rather than just not you know, pretending that it doesn't exist. But how how much of an effect does that particular decision have have industry wide?
1: Um,
0: well, it's going to be different
1: for different um, players. I think. I think one of the I mean, I heard an argument from one politician just that stated, well, now that we're stopping the free lateral flow test, there's going to be an open market um, where that finally British lateral flow test manufacturers will be able to compete. You know, they've just spent 10 billion on building the coffers of Chinese companies. There's no way a British company can compete on an open market. On, on price so that's again that's short-sightedness uh, from the government on that one um yeah it's it's, uh, it's it's an interest it's going to be an interesting time i think for pcr testing uh, rapid pcr testing is a great thing for us it's it's a wonderful thing because um you know we've been we've been on market now for about six months maybe a little longer um and have done really well We've now got our our approvals to sell into the UK as well. Great data to back it up, and um, and now we can go into hospitals and have a conversation with um, the point of care teams or pathology teams, where we 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 can present the QPOC and its technology on merit, and not have a response. But the Department of Health gives us free tests on your competitor platform, um, and we can then go in. On an equal footing and compete properly. So we do now have
0: an open market, which is great and absolutely wonderful. Right, that, that's an interesting uh, contrast that you that you uh, that you paint, uh, contrasting picture that you paint there. Um, it's fair to say that what a like QPOC, it, it isn't just a um, it isn't just a healthcare setting uh, uh, piece of equipment that you can use. This is for well for all sorts, really. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, Anything like anything like the workplace? I mean, if I was to go into the office and there was one and there was one there, for example, that 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 would be advantageous. For example, yes, yeah. I
1: mean, exactly. We we, we in our offices here in 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 Newcastle, we have a bank of cubots. Anybody who comes into the office has to be tested. We've over the two years we've we've been working full pelt as key workers, uh, and we've we've had over 45 of our staff come down with covid all of which we picked up very very early thanks to rapid pcr never had a single instance of in office transmission of covid that's how that's how you run an effective testing strategy had we um and we've now gone back and looked at the data from from the looking at the the viral load of of the staff members who came into the office and got picked up by a rapid PCR. We looked at those viral loads, and we we estimate that there would have been about fifteen cases where a lateral flow test would have missed it, and that person would have been walking around the offices transmitting it. Um, and so this is again this is why it's so important that 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 highly accurate and highly sensitive tests are used when you're looking at putting a ring around. A group of people, such as the folk in care homes, super important not to rely on just natural flows there, um, or in hospitals for triage, etc. It's it's just super important. And now you know now when we are starting to see reports of of flu epidemics in the southern hemisphere, Zimbabwe, Senegal, etc. It's clear that there's going to be a flu rebound this winter. So one of the things that we've done now is we've We've included flu A, flu B, RSV, A, and B onto our, our our latest test that we'll be releasing in in the middle of this year so that we not only are we able to detect one respiratory pathogen, but lots of respiratory pathogens. And so you, we're getting the power of PCR multiplied by five because we're looking at five different viruses all at once within half an hour. And that, that future for me, that is the future. Because mm-hmm. we're starting to see now um, that it's, that if you are moving to the point of need, you're not necessarily going to have a doctor running it. You're going to have a health worker. And so that health worker isn't necessarily going to know which one of the diseases to test for those symptoms. So someone presents into a pharmacy, for instance, with a fever of unknown origin or, or um, an STI symptom, we just pick out an STI cassette or pick out a fever cassette or pick out a Astro cassette and test for everything. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's powerful. Cause then suddenly you're getting detailed information straight away. So that's one, that's one thing of why rapid PCR is worth further investment over lateral flows, et cetera. Um, not least because of the sensitivity, but the ability to look at multiple things. And then secondly, There's another pandemic that's striking us right now and has been for a while and is gonna be way worse than anything that we experienced with SARS-CoV-2 and that's antimicrobial resistance. Mm -hmm. So right now, you can look down a microscope or look at a Petri dish and see, okay, this person's got gonorrhea, great. What do I treat that patient with? Because we know that between 12 and 30% of patients have got drug resistance. So you can give the patient their the diagnostic result. You have gonorrhea and here's, here's a drug that will t- treat it. You don't know if that drug's gonna work. The only way you're gonna know if that drug's gonna work is if it doesn't clear up the infection. What we are gonna do is provide an ability to test for all sexually transmitted diseases and the drug-resistant mutations associated with resistance. And that allows you one visit to say, okay, I've got gonorrhea, and it's resistant to the first-line therapies. So I'm going to get the second-line group of therapies, which means in one visit, I get, I get my diagnosis, I get initiated on the right therapy, which is right first time, and importantly, I don't have to come back multiple times. So in terms of primary healthcare costs, we're slashing it, at least by, by uh, 50%, if not by two-thirds, because of that. And that's what I mean by thinking holistically, connecting the dots. Don't just go, oh, lateral flows at £1.50. We'll buy that for everybody. That's that's not the way you should be thinking. You should be thinking holistically to the healthcare um, market as a whole.
0: Yeah, it, it feels like the, the the technology that you have, you feel like it could be the centerpiece of a strategy change. It should be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the government should be jumping on this. You know, we should be flying fact, We're talking about... Um, um, Building a new economy, build back better with innovation. Well well, we're up here in Newcastle. Should I move to Cambridge or, or Oxford and London so you listen? No, of course not, because we've got leveling up as well. So we're here with a technology for the for the future. Um and, and I think it's about time that everyone starts to to take notice. I mean, it's a quality technology, it works really well, it's rapid, it's accurate, and it's past. All of the regulatory um, requirements that we have put to.
0: Well, thank you for giving us that insight, by the way. Because as it, 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 as someone that just basically covers this from the outside looking in and is is, is almost fed information, it, it's always good to get into, you know, the nuts and bolts and the nooks and crannies, just everything basically.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and thank you for letting me just give a little bit of a sales pitch there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's not a problem. You're allowed one, and that's it. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you very much, Jonathan. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Because you you've covered a lot of ground, I must say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I have ranted on a bit there. I'm sorry. It's not a problem.
0: <laughs> it, it, it made for the best listen, I think. Anyway, well, I hope our I hope our audience does. You know, write in if you don't think it is good enough. By the way, <laughs> but, Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Cheers. Thank you very much.